This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. And today, on Wednesday, we are sponsoring a weekly shiur by Rav uh, Dr. Avi Wolfish, who's been doing a lot of work in the last few years on the study of Mishnah specifically, giving a weekly shiur on reading Mishnah. Okay, our fourth shiur will deal with the second chapter of Masachet Rosh Hashanah. Our second chapter, which I hope you've all had an occasion to uh, go over uh, in preparation for the shiur, opens uh, with a continuation of the halachot that were discussed in the first chapter. The first chapter talked about the halachot of witnesses who uh, see sight the new moon on Shabbat, and uh, they then journey on Shabbat, involving various kinds of Chilul Shabbat, in order to uh, sanctify the new month and the Muadot of that month uh, uh, at the appropriate time. Uh, the first Mishnah continues the theme, If the uh, court will not know who this witness is, then uh, then they send uh, character witnesses along with them in order to uh, in order to testify. Uh, this is part of a, a trend that we see already at the end of the previous chapter to extend and expand the halachot of violating the Shabbat. Uh, starting with Mishnah Dalit of the first chapter, the violation of Shabbat was simply the traveling itself, and the traveling itself could perhaps involve only a problem of tchum, which as we know is uh, only a problem uh, the Rabbanan, according to uh, most views. It might possibly involve a Dioraita, according to the Shita of the Rif and the Rambam. If it's a very long journey of uh, 12 mil or more, but uh, probably tchum is uh, mostly or only a problem Rabbanan, but already in Mishnah Tet, we see that the violation of Shabbat in order to sanctify the new moon could in fact involve other things as well. For example, it says, Molichinoto Molichinoto Alachamor could involve uh, other Isurim, perhaps even Isurim Deoraita. What would certainly involve an Isur Deoraita is what the, uh, is, is when it says, Vim Tzodelahem, Lokhin Biadan Maklot. Okay, they, if you have to take a staff with you, you're already uh, doing a mulacha uh, de'araita. Uh, and so, it's clear then that the halacha of Shabbat, as we see it at the end of the first chapter, is halacha that involves uh, any necessary chilul Shabbat, and not only of the person himself. We see that uh, uh, people can be sent along with him in order to, uh, in order to, to protect him. And uh, all of them will take uh, appropriate supplies uh, uh, for the journey. And so the Chilul Shabbat involved is really, it could really in some cases be quite extensive. The beginning of the second chapter continues that by, by telling us that uh, if the court will probably not be willing to accept this witness, so uh, you can even send along character witnesses in order to ensure that his testimony will will be uh, will be acceptable. Um, 
the theme of violation of Shabbat is actually continued into Mishnah Hay. Mishnah Hay, which tells us that uh, the witnesses are gathered into uh, a courtyard known as Beit Ya'azek, um, and, uh, and that's where the Beit Yin examines them. And then we're told, At first, the halacha was that they couldn't move from there the whole day, and clearly we're talking here about the laws of Shabbat. Having trespassed the Tchum, gone outside of the Tchum, the halacha now is that it's uh, forbidden for them to leave the Rishut Hayachid, in which they now find themselves, the Chatzar of Beit Yazek, and therefore, the Alachai is that they stay there the whole day until Rabban Gamliel Hazakain instituted. Uh, Rabban Gamliel Hazakain, of course, is not the usual Rabban Gamliel we normally encounter in the Mishnah. Rabban Gamliel II, Rabban Gamliel of Yavne. And this is Rabban Gamliel Hazakain, who lived at the time of Beit Hamikdash, and uh, he instituted that Yeshlahem uh, Alpayim Amal that they would be able to go outside of the Beit Yazek, and uh, it's as though they had never violated the Tchum Shabbat. This is a special takana, presumably for the uh, uh, for the reason that uh, that's mentioned in the next at the end of the next Mishnah, the end of Mishnah Vav, uh, in another context. We don't want to penalize witnesses for doing a mitzvah, and a witness who having done the mitzvah, now finds that he's locked up in this courtyard for the entire Shabbat, will probably not be so willing to uh, come again. Uh, he'll spread the word that it doesn't really pay to, to do this mitzvah. And so in order to prevent that from happening, Rabban Gamliel Azakein instituted, uh, instituted this, this halacha. So these two Mishnayot, Mishnah Aleph and Mishnah Hay of chapter 2, uh, pretty much conclude the discussion of uh, witnesses violating the Shabbat. The chapter then continues, starting in Mishnah Vav, with the uh, examination of the witnesses. Mishnah Vav describes the examination of the witnesses. Mishnah uh, Zayin describes the uh, actual sanctification, having uh, received and accepted the testimony Rosh Beitin Omer Mekudash. So then, this is the actual sanctification of the of the new moon. Uh, a bit puzzlingly, Mishnachet returns us to the topic of how the witnesses were examined. Rabban Gamliel is described as having charts that he would show the witnesses and ask them, "Did the new moon look like this, or did it look like that?" Um, uh, and this is a bit puzzling. It's not the biggest problem in the uh, order of Mishnah in the chapter, but it is a question, why was this Mishnah sort of left out of the discussion of how the witnesses are examined in Mishnah Vav and left till after Mishnah Zayin? In any event, the uh, uh, chapter concludes with two narratives about uh, puzzling rulings by the same Rabban Gamliel mentioned at the beginning of Mishnah Chet, the end of Mishnachet, uh, where uh, there's an, a narrative about Rabban Gamliel accepting witnesses who testified, Reinuhu Shacharit Bamizrach, Garvit Bamaharav. 
we saw the, the new moon in the morning in the east and in the evening in the west. That's, of course, impossible. It can't possibly be that the moon would uh, uh, would appear in the morning in the east and in the evening in the west. So Rabban Yochanan ben Uri, Rabbi Yochanan ben Uri immediately uh, declares Edei Sheker Hem, but he apparently allows them to go on to Yavne, where Rabban Gamliel accepted them. Kshabal Yavne, Kiblan, Rabban Gamliel. Uh, this is a brief narrative. Uh, we're a bit puzzled by Rabban Gamliel's willingness to accept the witnesses, but the next narrative is, of course, the well-known clash between Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua, where Rabban Gamliel's ruling is quite amazing. Uh, when two witnesses come and say, We saw the new moon at its appropriate time, namely, on the night preceding the 30th day of the previous month, and it was not visible the following night, uh, the night of the 31st. Uh, Rabban Gamliel very puzzlingly accepts them, and, and Rabbi Dosa immediately uh, challenges the ruling, and we have the uh, a whole well-known clash between Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua uh, regarding Yom Kippur, as we learn in the subsequent narrative, this was not just Rosh Chodesh, this was Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, this was Rosh Hashanah, and therefore there's now a dispute between Rabbi Dosa and Rabban Gamliel, Rabbi Yoshua accepting Rabbi Dosa's view as to when Yom Kippur uh, uh, will occur. Uh, we'll discuss this story at some length uh, later on, uh, not in today's Shior, probably in the uh, in the fifth Shior, we'll, we'll get back to examining this story uh, in some le- at some length and in some depth. But uh, just to conclude our overview with, uh, uh, of the structure of the chapter, uh, what we've seen then is Mishnayot, Aleph, and Hay continuing the uh, discussion of witnesses violating Shabbat. Mishnayot, Vav, Zayin described the procedure of examining the witnesses and, uh, and uh, determining that uh, the new month is declared. Mishnah uh, Chet sort of uh, returns us to the topic of uh, the examination of the witnesses and then uh, refers to the topic of accepting the witnesses. And uh, uh, here also it's a bit strange. The two narratives that close the chapter seem to belong really more to Mishnah Vav Zayin than they do to the end of the chapter. In other words, uh, after already in Mishnah Zayin, we've learned about how you sanctify the new month, the two narratives of which witnesses are acceptable. Uh, can you accept the witnesses that Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri and Rabbi Dosa have disqualified? Uh, or uh, can you not accept them? That's the dispute between Rabban Gamliel, the other sages. That would really seem to belong to Mishnah Vav. And, and its appropriate place would seem to be before uh, Mishnah Zayin. It's possible that the Mishnah redactor, as Albeck suggests, wanted uh, the narrative of Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua to conclude the chapter. Uh, that would also explain why the first Mishnah of Paragimel, which also deals with Kiddush HaChodesh, as we'll see further on in this series of Shiurim, why that's left out of the chapter. Uh, it's left out of the chapter, suggests Albeck, precisely because 
the uh, Mishnah redactor, Rabbi Yudah Nasi, wanted to conclude our chapter with the very dramatic story of Rabban Gamliel and, uh, and Rabbi Yoshua. And perhaps for that reason as well, both of these narratives were, uh, were not put in their appropriate place between Mishnah Vav and Zayin, but were rather, uh, were rather left, uh, uh, left to the end of the chapter. Um, that's a possible reason. Uh, as we'll see, it's not the only reason, and I think not even the best reason, for uh, uh, for the placement of these of these narratives, we'll see that uh, we'll see that a bit further on. Okay, but we have now our basic skeleton of the chapter. However, uh, the alert listener will have noticed that I skipped over a few mishnayot. Mishnayot bet through dalid didn't appear in our list at all, and and uh, with good reason. Mishnayot bet ad dalid don't really deal, don't really present the, the, uh, the subject of the chapter at all. The subject of the chapter is the witnesses journeying, arriving, being examined, and uh, the court then deciding to accept them and to sanctify the new month, Mishnayot, but through Dalid, deal with the topic of how the court lets the people know what day has been sanctified. Remember, we had an introduction to this topic back in Perak Aleph. Perak Aleph Mishnah Gimel talked about the six months where the shluchim go out, where the shluchim are sent out in order to inform the people that the month has been sanctified. These are months in which there are special dates, and so the people have to know when to observe these dates, and that's when the shluchim are sent out. Uh, in Mishnah Bet, we're told that prior, that at a prior period in history, before sending out shluchim, uh, it was actually preferable, barishonah, says the Mishnah, yumasiin masuot. At first, the, the practice was to, uh, set bonfires and to communicate the, uh, send out the information about the sanctification of the new month by means of the bonfires, and these bonfires are then described in some detail in Mishnayot, Gimel, and Dalid. But getting back to Mishnah Bet, Mishnah explains why uh, the bonfires were replaced with Shluchim, because it says, Mishikilkelu Kutim, when the Kutim, the Shomronim, uh, would interfere with the sending out of, of these messages via the bonfires, then it was instituted that instead of the bonfires, uh, it would be preferable for uh, uh, for messengers to go out because that would be more difficult uh, for the kutim to tamper with. Um, now these mishnayot to talk about how you let the people know about the sanctification of the new moon, what what day it was sanctified seem to be completely out of place at this juncture in the chapter. We're in the middle of talking about the witnesses. Why all of a sudden are we talking about the uh, are we talking about the messengers? Wouldn't the appropriate place to talk about the bonfires and the messengers be at the very end of the chapter, after determining uh, how we sanctify the moon, when we sanctify the moon, when we accept the witnesses, when we don't accept the witnesses, uh, having sanctified the new moon, then we can talk about where uh, uh, the how we let the people know uh, that the new moon has been sanctified. So why are these mishnayot here? Um, 
the standard explanation for why these Mishnayot are here um, reminds us very much of the placement of Mishnah Gimel uh, in the previous chapter where we suggested that it has something to do with the similarity between Mishnah Gimel and Mishnah Dalet. Mishnah Gimel al-Shisha Chodashim al-Shluchim Yotim. Mishnah Dalet al-Shnei Chodashim Mechalulin et HaShabbat. Here as well, Mishnah Bet is very highly similar to Mishnah Aleph. Let's go back and take a closer look at Mishnah Aleph. Mishnah Aleph opens with the halacha that we send out the character witnesses, and then the Mishnah explains why this is necessary. At first, the practice was that the court would accept testimony from anybody. Any person could testify. But, once the minim, okay, the heretics, the non-believers, who are identified in the Tosefta as being the Baitusim, or actually what usually appears in, in the uh, manuscript versions is Beit Sin, okay, Beit Sin, that some scholars have suggested should be identified with the Isiim. Josephus describes a third sect. Uh, in addition to Prushim and Stukim, he describes the sect of Isiim, Essenes, uh, and some identify the Beit Sin with the Essenes. That's a questionable identification, but that, that of course is something we can't go into in detail in the Shiurim. But uh, be that as it may, the Beit Tusim or Beit Sin would uh, in, interfere with the sanctification of the month by, as described at length in the Tosefta, sending false witnesses who would then try to mislead the court in order to sanctify the date that they thought should should be sanctified. So once that happened, uh, So then it was instituted that uh, the court will accept witnesses only when they are known, when we know who they are, uh, when we can rely on the fact that they are not by Tusim. And uh, so, going back to the first halacha in the Mishnah, if uh, the witness who is about to travel would be unknown to the court in Yerushalayim, so then the local court will send character witnesses along with him to tell the court in Yerushalayim it's okay, these witnesses are not by Tusim. You can rely on them. They're on the up and up. Um, so having given this historical explanation for why the uh, witnesses uh, uh, need to be accompanied by character witnesses, the uh, Mishnah then brings in uh, another very similar halakha, also dependent on a historical development. Same form as the sentence in the previous Mishnah. At first, the way in which uh, the public was informed about the sanctification was by means of bonfires. Similar to uh, Hitkinu. Okay, Hitkinu, something that would then uh, solve the problem. So in the first Mishnah, when the kuti, when the minim were uh, interfering with the 
uh, testimony. So the solution was a takana that uh, only witnesses who are known should be accepted. In the second Mishnah, when the kutim were interfering with the uh, way of notifying the public what day has been sanctified, so hitkinu, a takana was instituted that instead of bonfires, or perhaps in addition to bonfires, there would be um, uh, uh, there would be uh, messengers that would go out, and they'd be the ones who would inform uh, uh, would inform the public. So it would seem that Mishnah Bet is uh, brought here for reasons of association. Okay, as I noted in a, in a previous shiur, uh, the Mishnah usually is presented topically. There are some places where the Mishnah sort of lapses into an associative way of arranging Mishnayot, arranging them due to similarities of language and form rather than uh, similarity of, of content. The usual explanation of that is that it helps to memorize the Mishnah. The similar form and, and the similar language uh, aid the memory to, uh, uh, to master the learning of the Mishnayot by heart. We always have to remember the Mishnah originally was structured as oral law, not as, uh, not as written. As I say, that's the usual uh, uh, explanation. Um, a drawback of this explanation is that the fact that the Mishnah usually doesn't have that structure and only occasionally lapses into it, A, casts doubt on whether the Mishnah redactor really thinks that this is such a powerful tool for memorization. But more importantly, um, it, this itself confuses the memory. It's easier to memorize when you know, A, it's topical, or B, it's associative. When mostly it's topical and all of a sudden it lapses into an associative arrangement, that's something that confuses, uh, that confuses the memory. So I think that while it's probably true that uh, associative arrangement was originally designed for the purposes of memorization, I think when the Mishnah utilizes it, there, there may be something else uh, involved, and that's a, a point that we'll uh, that's a point that we'll we'll have to address. So let's uh, open our discussion of this uh, of this point. What are Mishnayot bet through Dawid doing in this chapter? Um, let, let's open our discussion of that by noting an interesting phenomenon that occurs at the end of the uh, of the collection. Uh, not only is Mishnah Bet a kind of uh, guest uh, in the chapter, not a, uh, a native resident, but a kind of guest, at least at this point in the chapter, but it's a guest that brought in another guest together with it. Together with Barishona, Misha Kilkilu, Hitkinu, which links up the Masuot with Mishnah Aleph, the Mishnah then continues with two other units that discuss Ketzar Hayumasin Masuot in Mishnah Gimel. How did they actually uh, 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 produce these bonfires? What what was the procedure? And Dalidu Ayin Hayumasin Masuot. What was the uh, chain of bonfires that led from the center in Yerushalayim until uh, Beit Beit Biltin somewhere uh, uh, somewhere over in uh, uh, in Babylonia. So 
what was the uh, how, what, what did this chain of bonfires actually look like? What, 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 was, its, what was its geographic route? So these two Mishnayot are kind of footnotes to Mishnah Bet. Mishnah Bet itself being a guest has already schlepped along two of its own guests, Mishnah Gimel and Mishnah Dalid, that now uh, 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 talk about these bonfires in detail. Um, you could say, well, okay, you know, uh, the associative order of the Mishnah includes the rule that a guest is allowed to bring in other guests when he feels the need to do so. And uh, many scholars have accepted this as, uh, as a phenomenon in the Mishnah. But I'd like to call your attention to a very interesting uh, phenomenon that takes place at the end of this, uh, at the end of this uh, collection of Mishnayot. We're told about how, um, how the um, uh, people who brought the bonfires, it would start off in Har HaMishcha, Har HaZetim, and go on to Beit Biltin, somewhere in Babylonia. And then the Mishnah says, Umi Beit Biltin lo hayu, lo zazu misham, ela molichu meviyu ma'aleo morir ad shaya ro'eh kol ha'gola lefanav kimdurat ha'esh. In Beit Bilti, they would not move from there on, uh, uh, until uh, he would continue uh uh, doing basically na'anuim, olichu meiviu ma'aleu morid is actually the term elsewhere used in the Mishnah, in Masechet Menachot, for what we today call na'anuim. We're familiar with it uh, from na'anuim of the Arba Aminim. The Mishnah mentions it in the uh, in the case of of uh, of uh, uh, Truma and uh, Tnufa of Korbanot Mincha. Um, and uh, this was done with the with the bonfires, and those they were really less bonfires than torches. And uh, in order for the people on the neighboring hill to be certain that this was a bonfire and not uh, uh, not a star or a shooting star, uh, the the person who lit who lit the torch would lift it up and put it down and uh, move it to the right and to the left, and that way the the the, the person on the Adjoining hill would be able to see it and say, "Ah, I, uh, that 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 must be the bonfire that I that I'm looking for." The last one in Beit Bilti in Mishnah Dalid. Okay, in in each one of the hills, the person would stop doing it the minute he saw the neighboring hill doing the same thing, and then he'd know. Okay, the message got across. I can go home now and go to sleep. In Mishnah Dalid, in Beit Bilti. The person would stand and continue doing it until he saw a whole chain of bonfires that lit up the entire that lit up the entire gola like a medura, okay, like one large like one large bonfire. A very striking image that we'll come back to a little later on. But before getting to that point, I want to focus on the term umibate biltin lozazu misham. This is a term. That's echoed in the very next Mishnah, Mishnah Hey, that tells us Barishona Lohayuzazin Misham Kol Hayom. And it seems that the Mishnah redactor not only linked up the foreign element of the Masuot of the bonfires with the first Mishnah uh, by means of terms like Barishona, Misha Kilkalu, and Hitkinu. 
But he also linked up the end of that collection with the next organic native Mishnah, Mishnah He. Mishnah He, which describes the courtyard and says, originally they were not allowed to move from there the entire day. Uh, Mishnah creates a very interesting linguistic connection between not moving from Beit Biltin and not moving from Beit Yazek uh, uh, later on when the when the uh, when we're describing the witnesses coming coming to Yerushalayim. Now that seems to me to suggest that the Mishnah has other things in mind than just memorization. Okay, the Mishnah is interested in linking up this foreign element, Mishnayot Bet through Dalid, to the uh, host topic, which is the journeying of the witnesses on Shabbat. Now, if you think back to chapter 1, we encountered a very similar phenomenon. Mishnah Gimel and Mishnah Dalid, very, very similar in form, in structure, in language. In Mishnah Dalit and previously in Mishnah Gimel, and we noted many similarities of of language and of structure between these two Mishnayot. We noted there as well that Mishnah Gimel seems out of place in in as much as it deals with the Shluchim, which would be at the end of the discussion of Kiddush HaChodesh, and instead they're brought <coughs> they're brought at the very beginning. And uh, one of the ideas I briefly suggested and promised to get back to is that it seems that the Mishnah is creating some kind of link between the witnesses and the Shluchim. Okay? Al Shnei Chodashim Mechalim Shabbat is witnesses. Al Shisha Chodashim HaShluchim Yotzim is the Shluchim. And here again we see the same phenomenon. Imenan makirin oto means the witnesses. Then, uh, you say, barishanayu mekablin edut hachodesh mikol adam. How would we originally accept the witnesses? And to this we then link up barishanahayu masuin masuot. At the beginning, rather than messengers, we would, uh, we would have bonfires. So again, it seems that the Mishnah wants to link up the journey of the witnesses to the Beit Adin, and the way in which the Beit Din lets the public know about the sanctification of the court. And in fact, we see really two complementary movements, both in Perak Aleph, when you link up Mishnah Gimel with Mishnah Dalid, and in our chapter, when we link up the Masuot and the Shluchim with the Edim. The two complementary movements are the journey of the public towards the Beit Din, okay, to which the Mishnah has devoted a tremendous uh, amount of space in Mishnah terms, basically an entire chapter, the bulk of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, which amount to basically an entire chapter, which talk about uh, the journey of the witnesses, and, uh, as we've seen, the journey of the witnesses with a lot of fanfare, stopping off uh, in a local court, very often getting uh, getting themselves uh, provided with 
donkeys, with with supplies, with uh, uh, with guards, and and even with character witnesses. Um, uh, so the Mishnah has devoted a lot of space to the journey of the witnesses to the court, and now. Before we've even gotten to the end of the procedure where we would expect to find the discussion of the Shluchim, the Mishnah is already talking about the journey of the Shluchim and what it replaced, which was the Masuot, the, the, the bonfires. Okay, so this is already now a movement from the court back to the public. So uh, we've sort of moved full circle and the Mishnah seems to be interested in noting this point that uh, that there is a kind of cyclical movement from the public to the court and then from the court uh, from the court to the public uh, to solidify this point let's let's note that uh, uh, the way in which the bonfires are described really do seem to uh, to, to signify this idea. Uh, We'll see this in detail in just a moment, but, but let's open with a question. Why bonfires? Why is this preferable uh, to sending out, uh, to sending out uh, emissaries who, who will notify the people? So the simple answer, which is certainly correct, is because of speed. Uh, uh, nothing travels in, this, in our universe faster than the speed of light, and so when you light the bonfire the message gets out almost instantaneously. Okay, All the materials are prepared on all the hills to light the bonfires. You light it on one hill. Within a matter of minutes, the next hill lights up. And within a matter maybe of an hour or two, uh, the message has gone all the way from the center in Yerushalayim to the diaspora in, in Bavel that... Uh, that this is what has happened, okay? That that the court has sanctified the new month. The emissaries could take a long time, and in fact, as we know, the emissaries didn't even make it to Bavel, which is why Bavel always celebrated Yom Tov Sheni Shel, Shel Galuyot, because the messengers didn't make it on time for them to know what day was actually sanctified, and so Sveka Diyoma. They weren't sure whether the first day or the second day, and so they actually celebrated two days of almost every Chag, Yom Kippur being the exception. Um, so that would be the, uh, uh, the simple reason for why, uh, for why the Masuot. I think if you look closely at the Mishnah, you can see that there's something else uh, going on there uh, as well. Uh, first of all, all the details about how to build the bonfires. Does the, the, the Mishnah really have to you know, give practical advice as to how to build a bonfire. Can't we let the Boy Scouts advise the uh, uh, the people who are building the bonfires? What well, what are the best ways in which to uh, in which to structure them? Uh, and the Mishnah tells us about the different kinds of of eres and atzeshem and shopishtan. One of my colleagues pointed out to me that there are actually four kinds of trees here, which. Uh, reminded him of the four minim, and especially when what we do with these trees is very, very reminiscent of the Arba Aminim. Uh, it's a nice vart. I don't know if the Mishnah intended it uh, or not, um, but I think the 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 uh, more impressive uh, image that the Mishnah uses is at the very end. 
Perhaps the Mishnah has something else in mind here than just the speed of letting of letting the people know uh, uh, letting people know when the new month has has been sanctified. Means that there's a very uh, impressive spectacle of a chain of fire that links the Gola with Yerushalayim. Okay, you have a chain of bonfires. The this this chain of bonfires links the Gola with Yerushalayim, and the entire Gola looks like a a Madurat a, a Madurata Esh. Uh, I'm not the first to to suggest. The scholars have already suggested before me that in fact this whole procedure was designed not only to let the public know when the day was sanctified, but also to illustrate to the public who it is who is sanctifying the new month. The one who is sanctifying the new month is the court. Okay, The witnesses journey to the court. The bonfires emanate from the court. Okay, We have a spectacle enacted uh, not perhaps every month, perhaps only one out of every two months, perhaps it was only those months that they lit the bonfires as well. But whether it was every month or once every two months, okay, we have uh, a ceremony here that gives very vivid graphic expression to the fact that the Jewish people are one. And the Jewish people are one means they have one high court. It sits in Yerushalayim. And this high court is the one who determines the festivals for all of, for all of, uh, for all of uh, Am Yisrael. Uh, it's interesting to note that the uh, sense of the five senses that, that is used in order to communicate the knowledge of the, uh, uh, of the sanctification of the new month is vision. We talked at the end of last, uh, at the end of last year about why witnesses were chosen. Why is it necessary to sanctify on the basis of witnesses and not simply calculate when the new moon should appear? And we said because vision is very, very important. We want the public to see the new moon. And when the public sees the new moon, so then they come and convey that information to the court. And interestingly, the court conveys that information by means of the same sense, the sense of vision. When the court, uh, uh, as we'll discuss in greater detail in the next shiur, when the court examines the witnesses, they say to them, what did you see? Okay, in Mishnavav, Ketzad Ra'ita Talavana. And similarly, in Mishnachet, Rabban Gamaliel says, Hakazer Ra'ita O Kazer. What exactly did you see? The court is interested in examining what exactly was seen uh, by, by the witnesses. And then, when the court sends out the information to the public, there's again this emphasis on the sense of vision. They want the public to see that the court has sanctified the new moon. Uh, looking at it metaphorically, we could say that the bonfire is a kind of metaphoric reenactment of the sighting of the new moon. The witnesses saw the new moon, they convey what they saw to the court, the court then sends out a vision, okay, which represents the vision that the witnesses have seen. And just to solidify this point, let's note one other appearance of the theme of vision in the chapter, and that is when 
Rabbi Dosa disagrees with Rabban Gamliel regarding the witnesses who claim to have seen something that couldn't possibly have been, so, so at least Rabbi Dosa claims. So, uh, Rabbi, when Rabbi Dosa has finished his argument, Rabbi Yoshua comments, Marlo Rabbi Yoshua, I see your words, says, says, says Rabbi Yoshua. Here we're dealing with vision on another level altogether. This is intellectual vision. Rabban, Rabbi Yoshua says, says, I understand, I accept. Okay, your words are convincing to me. That me, that's what he means by seeing them. As we'll, as we will see in a future shiur. When one, when a sage sees another sage's words, it means he's also accepting them lalacha and ruling accordingly. That's a point that will be very important to us in, in one of our future shiurim. But in any event, that just solidifies the point that the witnesses see, they convey what they've seen to the court. The court sees that what the witnesses said is or is not valid. If it's invalid, of course, nothing happens. But when they see that it's valid, then, using the sense of vision, they send it out to the public at large. Of course, as the Mishnah tells us, the Shomronim uh, in- interfered with this process. And uh, a colleague of mine once suggested that the reason they interfered with the process is not necessarily because they had a different calendar. The Minim, the Baitusim, had a different calendar, as we know, and that, that would explain why they wanted to interfere with how the court sanctified this day or that day. But the Kutim, on the other hand, although there are some sources that indicate that they also had a different calendar, my colleague suggested that's not really what bothered them. What bothered them is not the calendar per se. What bothered them is the ceremony in which the centrality of Yerushalayim, uh, which serves as the focal point for the bonfires. The bonfires emanate from Yerushalayim, go out to the periphery, to the Gola, and reenact every month the connection of the entire Jewish people to the spiritual center in Yerushalayim. The Kutim, as we know, didn't believe in a spiritual center in Yerushalayim. Their spiritual center was Shechem. So they interrupted not the witnesses, they interfered with the process of conveying it. They didn't want this visual symbol. As a result, the sages had no choice but to forego the visual symbol connecting the Jews in the periphery with the spiritual center in in Yerushalayim and to rely rather on the sense of hearing. You send out the shluchim, the shluchim tell you that the date has been sanctified. Hearing here replaces seeing. Seeing is the preferable sense. It's been replaced by by hearing. So I think we've gotten an understanding as to how, why the Mishnayot Bet Adalid were placed in the uh, at the beginning of the chapter, seemingly interrupting the laws of of giving testimony. We still have a few questions left about the order and structure. Uh, of the chapter, especially Mishnayot, uh, Mishnayot Chetet, which we noted earlier, don't seem uh, to be in place, and we'll uh, discuss that issue in the framework of our next year. So, for the next year, please continue, uh, go over again 
this chapter. Hopefully, you'll be reading it with new eyes and see new things and gain new insights uh, uh, as a result of the things we discussed in this year. And uh, uh, see if you have any ideas as to why the halachot of Mishnayot, the halachot and stories of Mishnayot Chetet were saved till the end of the chapter and were not brought where we think, where we would think they should belong, namely between Mishnah Vav and Zion.